0: right so here's here's how we're going to approach this when we left off talking about john he had had this moment right where he identifies jesus as the messiah he had said he had come to prepare the way for messiah but he's kind of caught off guard when he sees jesus and he has this moment in the baptism where he hears that voice from heaven from that moment on john declared jesus as the lamb of god who is to take away the sin of the world, the promised one, the Messiah. He was the one that John said he had come to prepare the way for. But what we also know is after that had happened, and John started pointing people towards Jesus, that John really didn't know what to do with himself. Like, it wasn't really clear. It was he was 30 years old, just in his utter prime, and it wasn't clear now that he had fulfilled what in his mind was his one purpose that God had given him, to prepare the way for Messiah. And now that had happened. So what was next? It wasn't like they had this post-baptism conversation, a debrief. That didn't happen. They kind of both went their separate ways. Jesus went his way. And John, it seemed for a period of time, is running a parallel ministry. While Jesus is doing his ministry in a part of the Jordan, starting to baptize and teach and heal, John also continues doing what he was doing even though he knows something's changed, he doesn't know what else to do. And he, he keeps baptizing people with those followers who stayed with him unto a place of openness for the new thing that God was doing. This continues for a while until something occurs that changes the equation. This is what I want us to look at. What happened that changes things? We read about this, and if you have your Bibles. You can follow in the handout as well, you can, your Bible app. Luke 3, I have three passages, but I want to look at Luke 3, verse 18. Let's follow along. It says, so with many other exhortations, he, look at that, that would be John, preached good news to the people. And Then we're given this other interesting details. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. Now, some of us read this, we go, who is this? Is this the same Herod that is talked about at the time of Jesus' birth? And the answer would be no. That, that Herod, uh, who ends up having all the children in that region under the age of two killed because he fears that, someone's, that there's a king that's going to be born, remember the time of the wise men, is going to take his place. That Herod, who's known, ironically, uh, because he's more ignominious than he is really famous, but he's known as Herod the Great. He gave himself that name. And uh, yeah, you can do that, I guess. And so Herod the Great... Well, Herod had been given that authority uh, by Rome. He was kind of a vassal king. The Romans held the ultimate authority with the Roman Praetorium Guard, of course, the guards and Pilate and the governors, et cetera. But the kings were allowed to be there to keep the peace. Herod was the king at the time. He had sons. And later on, his sons are given the, the opportunity to divide up what had been the territory of Herod the Great and so the Herod that is being spoken of here was called the Tetrarch. That is, Rome gave them a quarter of the responsibility of, with the other brothers of overseeing the region of Israel at the time of Jesus and John the Baptist. So Herod, that has been referred to here, is a man who's also known as Herod Antipas. The reason this is coming up is because Herod Antipas, Herod, he ends up having an affair with his brother's wife, Philip, has a wife named Herodias. Here's the other th- detail. Herodias is the niece of Philip, her husband. Therefore also Herod is her uncle. Got all that? <laughs> Got all that? Okay. They're like the royal family. They're all intermarrying with everybody. But then they have this sordid affair. That sort of if they, and, and, and Herod has uh, Herodias come with him, remarries her, they have a Herod, Herod sort of adopts the daughter that Philip and Herodias had. That daughter's name was Salome. Salome, we don't know a lot about her. She's going to come up later. We know one thing. She was a good dancer. That's one thing we know about Salome, and you're going to find out why. Okay, so here's the thing. What happens is, this is the, like, this is the, the news of the day. This was the, all the buzz, right? I mean, it would have made, if I was, I was thinking about it, it would have been like this controversial headline, this sordid affair, much discussed by, you know, if it was today on social media, everybody would go back and forth on this. I mean, I guarantee you it would be the lead story on TMZ. No question in my mind right now about that. <laughs> now we know that a majority of the Jewish people, the everyday folk, the common people who lived their daily lives, um, we know that they were, yeah, I don't know, bothered. They, 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 didn't, they weren't pleased with uh, the, the actions of Herod and the scandal and, and what had occurred. It was not something that was really popular. They resented all the Herods, right? They, they didn't see them as being legitimate. They felt they were just propped up by Rome. Um, and then on top of that, the, the family, the, the ruling class had sought to emulate the ruling classes of Rome, particularly in relation to um, what run, one writer called the um, fashion of the times, they said that The Herods had caught, in in relation to the Roman elite, the fashion of the times, particularly in terms of their immorality and the debauchery, which were commonplace. And like today in the West, our, our world, they were very fashionable. And it was just considered to be fashionable. Most people kept quiet about it. You didn't want to get in trouble, why make trouble? But there was one man who, when he was pressed, he he took a public stance against them. And that was John. And John was not one to pull back. He personally seemed to have had a relationship with Herod. They clearly had some discussions. But each time, John was consistent. Just as he had been in the public, he was in private. And he told Herod that what he was doing was wrong, that it was shameful. And we read about this in Mark 6. Look at it with me. This is the second piece there. It says, It was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. Now we're giving more details. Look at this. His brother Philip's wife. There it is. Because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It's not lawful. It's not right for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias, the wife, had a grudge against him and we're told very explicitly, wanted him put to death. He was, an, he, he, he was a problem, but she could not do it because Herod wouldn't do it. He, when we're told here, look at verse 20. It says, he feared John. That is, he really held him in high regard, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man. He kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was, look at the way the Bible describes it. He was both greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Look at that. Look how that's being described. So Herod has this kind of fear and reverence and respect for John, but he also wants John's approval. He's intrigued by John. Part of him is compelled by him, stirred by him. Herod has this kind of religious side to him. John's charisma, his um, prophetic bent and all out kind of thing for God. It really appealed to him. And, and, and Herod, um, on top of that, we might, how could we say it? Um, Herod had this superstitious kind of spiritual side to him. And he knew that John was from God. And he loved it would seem to listen to John talk about spiritual things, the scriptures, and he, he really loved everything about John, except, except his traditional views about marriage and morality, and even that he would put up with if John would just tone it down, right? That's what's going on here. But John was, again, pro- privately and publicly de- declaring his disapproval and saying it was not lawful that in the eyes of God and according to the Scriptures, it was, it was sinful, and Herod was not amused. And his wife Herodias, filled with bitter anger and resentment, made it known she wanted the man silenced. The man they called the Baptist silenced and put to death. And, but Herod would not agree to have him executed. But he did agree to silence him. He agreed to have him put in prison, but not just any prison. He was put in a palace prison on a mountain, and it was a place called Machaerus. And Macros, you can still see today. You can at least see the, the mountain itself. In that body of water, that Macris, you see on the very, very top of it, you can still see the ruins of the palace that Herod had held John in. It's on the Jordan side of that body of water. You see that body of water? That's the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth. John is on this 3,800 foot mountain, and that has been his region. That wilderness, he knew that wilderness. But now he's sitting in a cell locked up on the top of Machiris and the palace up there. That's where he's put. And from time to time, what we also know is that Herod would find his way over to talk with John and to speak with him. And it was almost like Herod took kind of a satisfaction. He had locked up his pastor, if you will, right? His private priest that he could visit anytime he wanted to. Locked up just for him. That was John's plight. The prophet, confined in bars, the man of space and wilderness, accustomed to open air and big sky, locked in a cell. It can beat the life out of you. I mean, it's hard enough for any, it would be hard enough for any of us, but for a man like John, who had been a man of the wilderness, That layer of confinement. He must have felt like a trapped. He had seen wild animals. He must have felt like a trapped animal in a cage. All he had done was try to honor God. And now he's stuck there. That's the picture we're given, right? And it sets the table for this remarkable exchange that's recorded in the Bible. And it's the last piece of scripture that I want us to look at. It's in Luke 7. And it says that in verse 18, then the disciples, disciples of John reported all these things. Right, because what would happen is, although now stay with me. Although John was confined in a prison cell at the top of Machaerus, he was allowed to have visitors, and he would have some of his disciples from time to time come, and they would talk. And one of the things we clearly can see what they're talking about is they want to. John wants to talk to them. Hey, tell me what's going on with Jesus. Remember, he he had said Jesus was Messiah. And, and he's, he's having these discussions. It says the disciples reported all these things to him, the things that Jesus was doing. And here's the problem. For John, on top of the fact that he was in a place that was just beating the life out of him, he's hearing these reports about Jesus that don't really line up with his expectations. And it's almost like, wow. Because Jesus and John were so different. I mean, John is this ascetic, right? Right? He's pulled out of culture. He's speaking on the outside into culture. Jesus, so different. Jesus is moving in a way that John wouldn't have. He's engaging people, even corrupt people. And he's talking about how the kingdom of God is present for them. And he's engaging in the the life um, and he's, he's eating and he's going with them and he's participating in life, not abusing it, not abusing it, but he's participating in it in a way that was very different than what John's envisioned. And on top of that, John was thinking Jesus is going to br- bring certain things to play and they're not happening. And so John starts to, tra- what, what did he say? Right, they're having these. So finally, what we're told here is that John gets to a point where, this is, listen, he He's not sure if he got it right. I see him standing there, again, by the bars, looking out and, and, and beginning to, to hear the reports about Jesus. And in his depression, in his discouragement, in his loss of freedom, in the darkness of his cell, so alone, so confined, and then to hear these stories about Jesus, he begins to wonder, did I, did I get it right? Did I get it right? I mean, there was no mistaking how he had felt. Remember the first time they meet, John's not expecting Jesus. He doesn't think that Jesus is the one. He baptizes him. But there's something that resonates in his soul that says, this is the one. And then he hears this voice. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased he sees this. Sign, like a heavenly sign, like a dove, something like that. John's convinced he's the one. But then it's, as the months go by and as John is in this place, he begins to wonder if maybe I, maybe I got it wrong. Um, you know, he said that he was going to usher in change. I don't see any change. He said he was going to set the, I, the scriptures say he was going to set things right. There's nothing being set right. It's starting with, you know, nothing seems to be happening. And then again, you, it's almost like John is working this through. Did I make a mistake? Uh, is he the one? Maybe I just like, felt something, but he's not the one. He's just like the one to, 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 to lead us to the one who's actually going to come after him. Is he the real one, right? You know what we need? Okay, this is what I need you to do. I need you guys to go back to him. I need you to go find him. And I need you to tell him this. Listen to me. You tell him, John has a question for you. Tell him this is the question. Are you the one? Just want to double check here. Are you the one or should we be looking for another? I, be specific. Look what happens. Are you the one or shall we look for another? Another. Okay, so look look what it says. It says, they go to Jesus and they say that. John the Baptist sent us to you saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John, John asks a question. He wants to double check. He wants you to answer this question. Jesus does not immediately answer the question. He doesn't stop what he's doing. It it almost is like, try to imagine them coming. They make this request, Jesus doesn't engage them. They're on the side, and he starts, Jesus just keeps on doing what he's been doing. It says, look this, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. Physical and spiritual movement, on whom many were blind, he bestowed sight. It's like Jesus is this master healer, rearranging DNA at a level that goes even beyond what we can presently do now. And We can do a lot of things now that would have seemed like science fiction to generations ago, but, but we, our knowledge is still growing. But the Lord was able to heal with touch and word and rearrange things immediately, the great physician. Go and tell John what you have seen. He says to them now, look, this is what I want you to do. You go back, you, wanted a, you had the question for me, here's your answer. You go and tell John what you have seen and heard. Tell him this, the blind receive their sight. Tell him this, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, their skin restored, and the deaf can hear. The dead are raised up. I tell you, the poor have heard the good news preached to them. You tell him that. All the prophetic things are coming to pass. John will know what I mean. Oh, and one more thing. Tell him one more thing. And this one catches us off off guard. I don't think anybody would have expected it. Tell him one more thing. Tell him this. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Even more literally, it means blessed is he who finds no occasion to stumble in me. It was actually a gentle and beautiful word of caution. He was saying, in effect, and I quote the great expositor G. Campbell Morgan, he was saying, John, if you cannot understand my method, I ask you to trust me. And when you are unable to see why I am doing what I am doing or why I'm not doing what you think I ought to be doing, all I ask is that you follow and trust me. What a powerful word that is for us. Sometimes we're going to be asked to do that as well. So what I want to do is drill deeper and approach this from an all-in perspective. And let me put this on the board, especially for those of us who are taking notes and thinking about these things. Let me suggest this about all-in and the way Jesus moves with John, all in realizes that there are going to be times in life, and I wish it wasn't so. I do. But there are going to be times in life where we are going to feel confined and perhaps discouraged, and maybe even we will find ourselves in a season of, of depression. I, I wish, again, I wish it wasn't so, but it is last real. You know, Sometimes feelings of of something is wrong and I can't solve it. Something's not fair, it's not right, I'm stuck. Can't get out of this, it's not going the way I thought it was gonna go. That feeling can lead to a frustration. That frustration over time can lead to a place of, of real discouragement, deep discouragement sets in. And if that deep discouragement sets in long enough and it is followed with certain other things, run after the other, you know what can happen? We can, and especially true if we have a personality that tends to move this way, we can fall into a place of depression. I look at John. And I see John in, in the dungeon, or at least in the cell on macarus It's dark, maybe a flickering light. It's unbearably hot and the air is stale. He's been deprived for the most part of fresh air, fresh air just a little trickling in in the hot desert. He is forced to look out those bars and wonder, is this my plight for serving God? Why is this? Again, the man of open sky and open air, confined and deprived, at loss for the why. And now, on top of that, what's happened to him? He's unsure of Jesus. He is a man in his prime. A man of action a man of energy and now he's idle and on the shelf he has lost most of his following though a few loyal ones remain why God was I not faithful to you did I not obey he wavers, and you know what we're told for the really what happens here the, the man of prophetic steel, his legs buckle, right? His faith legs shake, if you will. His faith buckles. He, he needs reinforcement, and so he sends them out. Again, there are gonna be times when it's hard, and, and, and he, he you know what's interesting is, who, what was the prophet that they often said John reminded them of? It was Elijah. And if you study Elijah, because they said, you remind us of Elijah. Some people said he's Elijah returned, right? He said, of all the prophets of the Old Testament, you remind us of Elijah. But when, I looked, when you look at Elijah's life, you realize that of all the prophets of God in the Old Testament, he is the one prophet that has the most deepest struggle with depression. It was, there's that moment where he literally has this crisis. He's so depressed, Elijah is, that he says, basically, Lord, why don't you just let me die? He wants to die. That was coming off, an, he had this emotional roller coaster kind of personality. He could be way up and then he could come down into a huge dip. And I wonder if John was a little bit like that, right? Was his, was, and he started thinking about it. And it was his fate to languish in this this awful place because of the whim of some vacillating, spineless puppet king and his cruel wife, and now I'm here. For how long? I don't know. Right? It's just, oh, and then I don't even know if Jesus is the one I thought He was. Why is He doing things the way He's doing them? And I think there are going to be times when we're going to be discouraged like that and depressed about our circumstances. There are. Things did not go the way we had hoped. Perhaps some of us, like I said, I said this is true. I think it's possible some of us are there now. we a little discouraged about it. When you get when you. <laughs> Some of us have more, um, are more prone to melancholy than depression. But some of us are prone to it. We, get that's, we fall into these places of deep, kind of like a dark pit. Cloud settles over us. Um, some of us are like, I, I tend to worse melancholy at times. I right? just get very, cutless. sad hues start to come along the way. And John, I think that can happen in life, right? And you just can't get stuck there. Um, Again, I fall back to the words of Jesus to our questioning prophet. What does Jesus say to him? What does he say? He says, blessed are the unoffended of me. Um, Vance Havener. No, that is, oh, by the way, blessed are the, the unoffended of me. Do you know what that is? That's sometimes called the forgotten beatitude. The beatitudes of Jesus recorded on the Sermon on the Mount. Many of us know them. We've read them but this is sometimes called the forgotten beatitude, the forgotten blessed. Blessed are those who are unoffended of me. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Vance Havener, who was Billy Graham's favorite preacher, he was an old country, kind of back country uh, preacher, He, he said this, he took that, he says, blessed is the one who is not offended of me means this. This is what Jesus meant, he says. Blessed is the one who doesn't get upset by the way I run my business. For those of us who would, who would be all in, remember this. All in means choosing to live as a blessed one who takes no offense, but instead, and we'll put this up, but instead embraces Jesus. You see that? This is not only a great word. It is the best way to live in an era of bad news. This is the good news, Right? No matter what happens in life, by the grace of God, Lord, help us to live unoffended. Where will we focus? On him. On him. Remember, it must have crossed John's mind. If Jesus is Messiah and the one to set things in order, then why am I here in this place? If he can do miracles and wonders, including raising a girl from the dead, why can he not rescue me? What's more, he has sent me no word. I've heard nothing from him. He hasn't even communicated with me. What's going on here? He's just been silent. John, tell him this, let it be. Blessed are those who are unoffended of me. Wow. So let it be with us. Stay unoffended. Stay unoffended with God and his wisdom and his timing. No need to second guess. Right? That's what he's saying. It's like Jesus is saying to John, don't second guess. It's okay. Everything is as it should be. Let it be. Let it be. And that is a great principle. Don't make God, when we're in trouble, and I've told a few people this from time to time, I said, don't pull away from God because you're having trouble. That's the time when you get close to God. This is the exact opposite. Like, don't make the Lord your enemy. It's such a temptation. Like, why did you do this, God? Why didn't you show up for me? Why did you let this happen? I said, don't, don't go there. Don't do that. John's stuck. He's confined. He's feeling awful. About the life that he has, now he's questioning Jesus, and Jesus says, Look, you need to, you need to, don't, don't go, don't be offended over me. As a general principle, we need, we need to trust that God knows what he's doing. But on top of that, as a so the principle specifically is don't be offended by Jesus. But in general, the principle is this don't be offended, period. Stay unoffended Blessed are the unoffended, stay unoffended with others as well. You understand what I'm saying? Life is too short (laughs) to be anything but grateful. No room for bitterness, uh, or offense. No, we will choose the way of the unoffended, right? But I've been wronged. Blessed are the unoffended, but I've been mistreated. Blessed are the unoffended, but I have been overlooked. Blessed are the unoffended, but I have not been blessed. Blessed are the unoffended. Remember, what did Jesus mean? Sometimes it might help us to do this. Flip what Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended of me. Flip it over. You know what it says? Just Happy are those, blessed, happy. Happy are those who trust in me. Happy are those who trust in me. All in means following and trusting in Jesus, we'll put this up, and choosing happiness as a way of life. I'll say that again. All in means following and trusting in Jesus and choosing happiness as a way of life. Just like John was being encouraged to do, trusting Jesus even when it doesn't make sense, parentheses, to us, to us. Placing What does that mean? What means placing our confidence and our trust in his words and promises and his his actions. Jesus was saying, tell John what I am doing, and then tell him not to be offended and stumble over me. Tell him happy is the one who trusts. Happy is the one who trusts. And then when we believe that, we align our words and our attitudes accordingly. Like a lot of times we'll say, well, it depends on my circumstances, then I'll be happy. Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, what determines that? Or what determines our attitude? Which leads who? What leads which? If our circumstances are always determining our attitudes, then we will always be up and down on the basis of what's happening to us or around us or with other people who are treating us in a certain way. Always. My happiness will always be dependent on circumstances and things I cannot control. We will be offended always, always, over something. They didn't do this. Why did this happen? Where was God? Not showing up for me. Why is she treating me this way? Why is he acting like that? Always. What they have, I was overlooked. I'm offended. I'm mad. Right? Always. If, if our attitude, though, is what, is what defines our circumstances, then I can walk through anything in Christ. Anything. I was thinking about this because I was going, okay. When they saw Jesus, they did not say, there is the serious, angry, brooding man. They didn't say that. They said, there he is. He's a holy man, but he's a happy man. He's a happy man. When the Lord, listen, the Lord wants us to be a happy people. I'm not talking about fluff, put on, I'm talking about a depth to who we are that chooses not to live offended. And we do not, that's not how we live. Happy are those who trust in me. We live as ones who trust in him. We anchor ourselves there. I was thinking about how John, in his situation, is not going to end great. That's kind of an understatement. Um, it was not a happy ending. And part of me is going, whoa, Lord, where were...? But this is... I was sitting in my... I was on my bed last night thinking about this, thinking about this. And I felt like a phrase came to me which is true. The Lord said to me... How I saw I put it. This is what came to my mind. It's true. Things do not always work out the way we want them to. But if we invite the Lord into them, they will always work out better than they would have if we didn't invite him in. Do you understand what I just said? Always. They may not always go the way we were thinking they should go, but if he is welcomed into it, they will always go better than what they would have been without him. All things, loved ones, work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What does that mean for us? What it means, at least in part, is that, is that we, need to tr- we need to trust the Lord, right? We need to trust the Lord. The, Jesus is saying, don't be offended. Tr- trust in me. Happy is the one who trusts in me. Don't get stuck, you know, in, uh, stuck in the negativity and the resentment and the anger. No. Or let the cloud just settle over and define, no, Lord, I welcome you in. I trust in the Lord. I want to stay light on my feet spiritually, and mentally, and emotionally, relationally, not gonna get stuck, right? Not gonna get weighed down by stuff, self-assigned stuff. No way, no way, I'm gonna, here it comes, rise and shine, all right? (laughs) I'm gonna rise and shine. I'm gonna stay unoffended. Life's too short to to be offended all the time. And we will always have a reason to be offended. at something. These are angry times. People are not perfect. Some people are bad. Some things are unjust. Blessed are those who are unoffended. Was there anyone who would ever know what it was like to be taken advantage of more than Jesus, who had the power to stop it? He will be scandalized. He will be. In a few weeks, we will mark that moment on Good Friday when the Savior of the world, who John pointed to, will become for us the Lamb of God by his choice to pay a price for us that we could never pay so that we could have a relationship with God in a way that was never before possible. But he would literally be scandalized on our behalf. He understands what it is. I know I'm going to step on the highest holy ground. I can't get there most of the time. But Jesus would say... (laughs) Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You want to talk about living above offense. That's, I'm just saying, with his help, try to stay unoffended and be grateful. We can choose our path. We can choose our path. Don't let the cloud define us. Don't let the other, other things that we can't, don't let those things define us. I could just sit with this all day long, right? Stay happy in Christ. Stay open, stay stay nimble, stay light on our feet. Let's not get stuck there, let's not get stuck there. God help us. God help us to be all in and all open. All right, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> so here we go, let's pray together, let's pray together, thank you Lord. All right, so Lord I, I, I ask that you would be with us as we close out this service to just remember um, to stay light on our feet and unoffended in our heart, to not really question you, but to trust you in love and allow your happiness to define us, to let us live as ones who are blessed, blessed. Let us be the blessed and then the blessers. I help that, Lord. Help us not get stuck in offense, um, stuck in the pains of life or the hurts of life. No, that's not our call. I ask for you to help us to follow you, our good shepherd. Lead us in the way that we should go. Keep our hearts light before you. Just ask for your blessing. Bless all who are here as we go our separate ways into this week. Bless our time of giving. Many of us honor you so faithfully as part of our life. May you be honored in it, in all these things, in Jesus' name. Amen.